And that's what's happening in so many companies is that these business owners are not innovating. They're not asking their clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? The company that makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is the company that's going to win. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky. I'm your host. I'm also the luckiest person in the world to be able to host this show. And just a second of pause to stop and say thank you to all of the listeners who are providing some warm and wonderful feedback. It is incredible. Uh, it's humbling and it's inspiring. So thank you so very much. It's um, making all the difference knowing that the show is making a difference for you. Now, today on the show, we're going to be talking about mergers and acquisitions. We're going to be talking about book authorship and much, much more with the wonderful Michelle Siler Tucker. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. And uh, you and I are going to be taking a deep dive into uh, your latest uh, book, um, but we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, which is Exit Rich. Um, but what we like to do, Michelle, is we, I guess, unravel um I guess not just the business side, not just the authorship side, but also the person behind all of this, because at the end of the day, the people are what make things happen, aren't they? They sure are. I mean, books are great to read, but that's not going to make something happen. The people make it happen. Absolutely. Now, um, where are you located? Michelle? I'm, in, I'm from Long Beach, California, but I live in New Orleans, Louisiana. Fantastic. Now, uh, I, I wonder, um, being so busy as you must be, is there any free time for you and if there is what do you like to do in your downtime you know i do i do look when when we weren't under a pandemic i took about four or five vacations a year with my family Beautiful. <laughs> so um but you know we spend i make sure that i keep my weekends as open as as possible because i do have a 10 year old daughter that i love and love to spend time with so i do that um, I do, you know, every now and then I'll take a day off during the week. I took off Monday, which was Martin Luther King Day mm-hmm. in U.S., so we took that day off. But um, I love spending time with my family, spending time with my friends. Um, and, you know, just I like to write, so I write a lot. Um, I, you know, like to go bicycling, bicycling mm-hmm. I work out, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Now, I wonder, when we look back on our lives, you've done so much. You've obviously been a best-selling author, not once, but twice. Uh, you've had multiple successful businesses. You've helped more than a 1,000 uh, business owners scale and sell and all these things relating to mergers and acquisitions. At the end of the day, when you sit back and you look over your life, what is the one thing that you want to leave behind that people remember you for the most? I think it's, you know, it's very important to me for my, to be remembered for making a, a huge impact and helping as many business owners as I possibly could, you know, save their business and help them grow, fix their business, grow their business so they can actually sell their business and exit for far more than what they expected. Thank you. I, uh, I know that the, a large majority of the My Future Business audience are startup businesses, entrepreneurs getting, you know, getting underway, and they, and they love learning from people like you who have walked the path that they're just about to start down. I, I wonder, can we go back to your, I guess, your first recognition that, hey, look, 
I want to be an entrepreneur. Can you, can you share that with us? If I can remember back that far. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Um, you know, I've always been interested. I don't know exactly what time that was in my life, mm-hmm. but I know even as a little girl, I wasn't your typical little girl. I didn't walk around and play with toys or dolls or anything. I walked around with a notebook and I would walk up to complete strangers and start asking them a bunch of questions <laughs> about themselves and about their business at the age of six. Wow. So my mom's like, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> And so I was always interested in people. I was always interested in writing. And then later on, I really became interested in business. I didn't really come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, my dad did own his own business, but that was about it. But I've always been interested, you know, in entrepreneurship. I've, I've owned lots of different businesses in lots of different industries. I currently own different businesses in different industries. Yes. Um, I did kind of get, you know, sucked into working for a Fortune 500 company. You know, I started working for Xerox. They recruited me. Mm-hmm. And um, for the first six months that I was there, my nickname became The Closer because every time somebody couldn't close a deal, they would call me. <laughs> and they're like, have Michelle do it. She's The Closer. <laughs> so I, I did that. And then my, my supervisor manager came to me within six months and said, Michelle, you really should apply for the regional vice president position with Xerox. She said, you won't get it because you've only been here six months and you're applying with everybody else that's been here for years and years and years, but you should do it anyway for, for the learning experience. I'm like, why would I do, Why would I take three months out of my life and apply for something I'm never going to get? Huh. And she said, because you'll learn more during this process than anything else you'll ever do, which is very true. So I said, okay. So I threw my name in the hat, did it. It's a grueling three-month process uh, where I had to meet with high-level executives um, all throughout the country. And um, I ended up getting it. Even though they said I won it, I did get it. Xerox broke you know, their own policy, because their policy was that you had to be there at least so many years before you were promoted. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting this. I guess I am truly the closer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then, you know, I realized very quickly that I went from sales, doing what I love, into management, corporate management for a Fortune 500 company. And it's very different. I mean, when you're in that type of position, now you're not meeting with clients anymore. You're just in meetings to schedule more meetings to schedule even more meetings mm-hmm. and do lots and lots of paperwork. So I wasn't really doing what I love anymore. And then I told my husband, I said, you know, I kind of really miss entrepreneurship, but I liked it, the, the guarantee of the six-figure check not very <laughs> and the benefits that Xerox provides. <laughs> but I think I want to find a franchise and buy a franchise. So I started looking. I stumbled across this franchise, and my husband knew one of the founders and um, anyway, they said, look, we don't want you to, um, to buy a franchise. We want you to partner with us. We'll give you a franchise, you know. Um, and I said, well, gosh, you don't have very many locations. You're not very successful. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I don't want to leave my six-figure position. So I said, here's what I'll do. I will do, try it for six months and see how it goes, and I'll keep my day job. So I did that. I, so, so for weekends and stuff, I would fly out you know, to different trade shows and stuff. And I ended up selling more um, franchises in, a, in six months and making more money in six months than I made for a whole year in Xerox. So I knew then that was the right decision to move on. So that's kind of what started my franchise development, franchise consulting, franchise sales career. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they, they never really built a solid foundation. They never built the infrastructure to handle business. Mm-hmm. So they grew and grew and grew, 
And then they really started over-promising, under-delivering, and not servicing the franchisees. Oh, nice. So I was team franchisees, and they're team franchisors, so I realized very quickly that our values don't align. Mm. And I said, well, you need to buy me out. And when that happened, that's when I transitioned into selling companies. Yeah, wow. Hi, can I just ask you before we jump into that, um, do you remember your first business? My very first business, yes. It was a publication. (laughs) No, no, no. It was like a, it was a, it was a, um, a wedding magazine. It was a wedding publication. Fantastic. Yeah. I I don't remember exactly what age I was, but I was pretty young. Now, um, I know we're going to be talking about your uh, newest book, Exit Rich, um, but I'd love to uh, start off by asking you about your prior book, if we can just momentarily, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. What was that all about? It seems obvious, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so that was a book I wrote in 2013. That was my very first book I have I ever published. I've written other books, but that's the first one I published. And that was about, you know, it's really a, a book about, you know, selling your business, how to sell a business. Um, and I wrote that in 2013 when the business landscape was very different back then than it is today. Mm-hmm. And back then, you know, when I did the research, it used to be that 95% of all startups would fail, right? 95%. Yep. yep. So that's pretty common knowledge. You know, it's really risky that one to five years. But then when I wrote Exit Rich, so I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, 2020, because I started noticing that so many strip centers were closing down, so many businesses were shut down. Like you would drive past a strip center one day, one one week, the business is open. You go back the next week, the business is closed. Closed, yeah. So I started, you know, I said, I'm going to write another book, and I'm going to make it more about not just how to sell a business, but how to how to build a sustainable business that's scalable so that when you're ready, it's sellable. Because so many businesses are not sellable. Eight out of ten businesses will not sell in the United States, um, according to Steve Forbes. And Steve Forbes endorsed my book, Exit Rich. Eight out of ten. I mean, that's a pretty significant number. Crazy. So when I learned eight out of ten businesses don't sell, that's when I decided, you know, I'm really going to write Exit Rich. And I I specialize in not just selling businesses. I help grow fix businesses, grow them. I buy businesses. I also partner with business owners and help them. Uh, build to sell their business, you know, I invest my money, my time, energy, and effort to do so. Mm-hmm. So then um, I decided I'm going to write Exit Rich. So I did the research, and I was flabbergasted by how much the business landscape has changed in the USA before the pandemic. You know, that startups are not at great risk anymore. Only 30% of startups will now go out of business. Only 30%. That's not bad. No. However, however out of 27.6 million companies... Those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer. And now this is out 27, 26.7 million, co- I'm sorry, 27.6 million companies. Mm-hmm. Those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer. 70% of those companies will go out of business. Oh. 7-0. So you see how it flip-flops? Yeah. It used it's to be that if you made it past 5, 7, 8, 9, 10 years, you're golden. You can write your retirement check. Yeah, not anymore. But not anymore. So these businesses are dropping like flies. And in America, we hear about the, the public companies all the time, like Toys R Us was in business 70 years, goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1, JCPenney's, Montgomery Ward, GNC's closing down 900 locations. But we're not hearing about all the private companies on every street corner and every street and every town and every state across the United States. These businesses are going out of business, and these business owners 
you know, they're being forced to sell for pennies on a dollar, close their door, or even worse, file bankruptcy. And when they file bankruptcy in the United States, they don't just lose their business assets. In most cases, they lose their personal assets, too, because they commingled assets piercing the corporate veil. It's, a, it's astonishing, these, these statistics to, that you're running past me. I, I wonder, um, yeah. is there any particular sector, and given that there seems to be uh, almost like a quantum shift to online, is that having an impact on the... the it, it, well, it is. And, and it's not, you know, I have to go back and break it down, but it's not really so much about sector. What it is, here's what happens. Mm -hmm. So... Amazon comes, right? The behemoth. <laughs> and Amazon changes the way that, that consumers purchase products. Yep. And these business owners, these startups, they're new, they're innovative, they're unique. You know, a lot of them are doing something different. Not all of them. Some are in another coffee shop, you know. Yep. But a lot of them are something new, something different, something innovative. These business owners have been in business for 10 years or longer. These business owners are not innovating. They stopped doing what I called AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. They stopped AIM. You yeah. can't do that. You, as a business owner, you must always innovate. If you don't innovate, you're going to go out of business. Look at Blockbuster. Blockbuster saw Netflix. They saw the writing on the wall. They had an opportunity to buy Netflix. They didn't. They sat back. They sat back fat and happy and did nothing. Oh. <laughs> and so they went belly up. They went bust. And that's what's happening in so many companies is that these business owners are not innovating. They're not asking their clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? The company that makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is the company that's going to win. Amazon is winning because they make it so easy. I mean, Americans are used to, you know, they love instant gratification. Order something, it'll be here in two days. Well, now Amazon just bought 12 planes, so it can be there in one day. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, so, so really, business owners have to innovate. They have to pivot. They have to think outside the box. They have to throw the box away and do something completely different than they've ever done before. That's wonderful. Stay so stay I, I'm really loving this call. Um, thank you so much for, sh uh, for sharing, Michelle. Now, um, is AIM one of the six Ps method inside AIM, of your AIM book? AIM is not one of the six Ps. And I don't even know if I put AIM in my book, you know. I come up with so many things. I'm like, did I put that in a book? Did I put that in a book? <laughs> it seems like it should be. It seems very important. Yeah, it's in a lot of my PowerPoint presentations. But, yeah, AIM is not one of my six Ps. Right. AIM is always innovate and always market. And innovation, though, is part of one of my P's, which is my second P, which is product. So, you know, products, you always have to ask, look at your product, look at your industry, and ask yourself, is your product, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? Are you dying or are you thriving? Are you Amazon or are you a blockbuster? Yes. And if you're a blockbuster, you got to pivot, and you got to think outside the box, and you really got to start doing things differently. I mean, just look at COVID. Look at all the industries that are dying right now because of COVID. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? I, I look it at uh, what what work you've done, and you've had some um, pretty significant endorsements. The likes of Jack Canfield, Bob Proctor, Joseph Michelli, Dr. John Gray, and the list goes on and on and on. It it, it is a credit to you um, how much um, change and the impact that you've had on so many businesses. Now, uh, I'm wondering, are we able to talk about any of the other six P's and what they might be, just to give a bit of a broad overview of the book? I would love to. I love my six Ps. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. So the forward. six Ps are, are really the solid foundation. 
yep. that you should build your business on, mm-hmm. whether you want to sell it or not, if you use U6Ps to build a business, you have a sustainable, scalable business that's profitable, mm-hmm. and when you're ready, it'll be sellable. So the first P is people. You don't build a business, you build people, and people build the business. One of the number one reasons that businesses are not sellable is because the owner is tied to the business. And if I take that owner out of the business, there is no business anymore. Um, A dentist practice, one one dentist, six hygienists, they came to me, they want to sell. There's nothing to sell because once I take that owner out, there is no business. Now, we can sell it, but he has to do one or two things. He has to go hire other dental associates and try to sell in two or three years, or we can go ahead and sell it. But it's not going to maximize value, and the price tag will be attached to how long he stays with the business. Yes. Because once that dentist leaves, the clients leave. There's no asset, so, is there? No, there's not. So you want to create a business, not a job. So many business owners go out there, and they, they're like, oh, my gosh, I got a business, I got a business. And what you really have is a job that you go to work at every day. Yeah. <laughs> you want to have a business that works for you rather than you working for it. So you want, you want to focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. You want to make sure you have people. But have the right people in the right seats. The right people in the right seats. And then ask the who question, Rick. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, who opens the door? Who handles customer service? Who handles logistics? Who handles manufacturing? Who handles... Are you still there? I am. I lost you on my screen. There we go. Who handles logistics? Who handles manufacturing? Who handles environmental issues? The list goes on and on. The clue is you should never be next to the who. Uh-huh. You shouldn't be so, the answer to those questions. Correct. You should be the answer to those questions. You should not be the who. So never, ever put your name next to one of those, one of those checkboxes, okay? Yep. And so then we talked about products, right? One thing I want to tell you about products. So, again, you want to ask yourself, is your industry thriving or dying? And if you're in an industry that's dying, that doesn't mean – then you just close down shop and, you know, go to bed and never wake up again. <laughs> between the legs, where you go. <laughs> that means that you have to align yourself with an expert, a mentor, somebody who can see what you're not seeing because when you're in your fog, it's foggy. So you have to ask yourself three transformational questions, very important. So Amazon did this years ago. They asked themselves, what business are we in? And they said, we're booksellers. We sell books. Then they asked themselves, what do we do really, really, really well? Oh, we do fulfillment really well, better than anybody else. And then they ask themselves, what business should we be in? We should be in the fulfillment business. Ah, yes. Those three questions took Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Seems like Those three too. transformational <laughs> questions. So... Everybody should ask themselves those questions. What business are we in? What do we do really well? What should we be in? And pivot, innovate. You know, innovation is key. Innovation and marketing is key to success and long-term stability, sustainability. All right, so the next P is processes. Mm -hmm. Processes is big. You can't really have a sustainable, scalable business if you don't have processes. And you really should think about the processes from the beginning. So many business owners don't really think about processes because they're like, oh, I'd rather focus on growing the company or focus on getting more people. Well, guess what? You won't be able to handle the growth if you don't build a solid foundation of processes. And your processes should be designed with the customer experience in mind. Mm -hmm. So did you ever watch the movie The Founder? Yes. 
McDonald's? Love that movie, the yes. McDonald's story, right? Oh, yes. One of the best movies ever. And so back in the 40s, the McDonald brothers wanted to start a fast food restaurant because back then they had kind of the drive-up type restaurants like a Sonic. But back then, the process was not perfected, so the food was always cold, the order was always wrong, and it always took so long. So McDonald's brothers said, we want to build a fast food restaurant. How are we going to do that? And so then they said, well, the way we're going to build this fast food restaurant is we're going to... Um, we're going to come up with a vision, come up with a mission, but most importantly, come up with a customer experience. Yep. What do we want our customer experience to be? And so when I said, what do we want our customer experience to be? They said, we want our customers to get great tasting food. We want it to be hot and delivered fast, two minutes or less. So do you remember in the movie when they went out to the tennis courts and they took all their employees out to the in- empty yes, tennis court? Yes, I do. And they took chalk and they rolled on the tr- tennis court. Yes. And they practice their processes over and over and over again all day until they figured out who takes the order, who toasts the buns, who cooks the burgers, who puts the pickles on the buns and gives it to the customers in two minutes at less. This process that McDonald's came up with in the 40s, even though it's been tweaked, this is why you can eat at a McDonald's in Australia, Singapore, New Zealand, USA, and still have the exact same experience because of processes. They've standardized, haven't they? They standardized, but they did it with the customer experience in mind. Yeah. How many, how many times have you tried to do business with a, co- with a company and their process does the opposite? It doesn't make you happy. Oh, <laughs> you know, like it makes you infuriated yeah. because <laughs> the process is, is terrible. I have to I say, mean, Michelle, hey, too many times. Too many times. I mean, I'm always like, oh, my gosh, you need a, you need a coach, you need a consultant <laughs> to teach you how to develop your processes with the customer experience in mind. So that's huge. Your processes should be productive, efficient, well-documented. You should have SOP checklist as well. And, you know, make sure that your, your employees are trained on such. So that's can processes. I, can I just ask you before we move on to the next P, Michelle? Um, uh-huh. In terms of, let's go back to the dentist example where he is the core of the business, unfortunately. You've just touched on processes, which presumably you could call a system once you've got a set of um, processes together. Can Uh a dentist who has good systems sell his business for more? Is that the idea? If the dentist has good processes? Mm -hmm. Yes, but dentistry is very personal. Mm-hmm. Clients who go to their dentist go to their dentist because they like them, they trust them, and their dentist is in their mouth. <laughs> yes. They're not necessarily comfortable going to someone else that they don't have, that they don't know, that they don't have rapport with. So when you take the dentist that's been servicing all these clients for all these years, and that dentist is not in the business anymore, even though you have the processes, you now don't have that that professional dentist who has been providing this service all this time. Does that make sense? Yeah, and this is the key point. I think um, when we look at a service industry, I, I presume there's there's industries which are service-based, not product-based, that could be sold as a system. Um, right. Are there, are there better industries, uh, industries that benefit from systems and processes 
Well, there's lots of industries that benefit from processes and systems, mm-hmm. and and businesses benefit from processes or systems because you really can't run a business without them. Yeah. Or if you do run a business with them, you're not going to be productive, you're not going to be efficient, you're going to have waste, and you're not going to be as profitable. Plus, when buyers want to buy your business, mm-hmm. one of the first things they're going to ask for is to see your policy and procedure manuals. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. An so, to the business, yeah. regardless of your industry, you gotta have those processes. But there are businesses that have processes that, yes, can increase the value, like SaaS businesses. You know, SaaS businesses have processes in place that can really increase the value. They typically have recurring revenue. Same thing with e-commerce businesses. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it's important for every industry to have processes. You really cannot run a business without processes. Without so there's some sage advice for everybody on the call today. Now, I'm wondering what the next P is. I'm, I'm enthralled by this. So the next P, other than processes, is number four. And number four is proprietary. proprietary. So proprietary is the highest value driver, the biggest value driver. So businesses are typically valued by a multiple of EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. The highest value, the highest value of EBITDA is the highest value of EBITDA is what we call proprietary. These are proprietary assets that will drive the multiple. So a typical multiple in the US could be anywhere from one and a half to anywhere from one and a half to, you know, five times earnings. Right. But, or five times EBITDA. But if you get, if you have a certain synergy, then that could drive your multiple up to maybe seven times, eight times, ten times. Okay? Yep. So that's what we're talking about right now is proprietary. This is the highest multiple driver there is. So first and foremost, branding. The more well-branded you are, the more money I can sell your business for. Uh-huh. As long as your brand is still relevant in the mind of the consumer. Meaning, does anybody want to pay any money for Blockbuster? <laughs> no, because <laughs> no, no. they went belly up. They went bust, right? So your, your brand has to be relevant to the consumer. They ha- it still has to be in business. Um, the biggest brand in the world, do you know who the biggest brand in the world is? There'd be several on my mind, but I'd hate to hazard a guess. Apple. Apple, of course. Apple, $189 billion just for the brand. $189 billion just for the brand. That's not assets. That's not inventory. That's not real estate. Drop in the ocean. That's just the brand. What's that? (laughs) Drop in the ocean. Drop in the ocean. So build your brand and we can sell you a company for a lot of money. The other thing that's really valuable in the United States, I'm not sure about Australia, or trademarks. Of course. So, yep. you know, trademark your company name, trademark your slogan, trademark anything that's unique to you. But the problem in the United States is that business owners will go out and they'll start a business in California and they'll get a, a, a trademark in California, but they never think about checking the federal database. So they'll be operating their business for 5, 10, 15 years and all of a sudden receive a system desist letter and the amount that says you have to stop using this company name because it doesn't belong to you. Yeah, wow. Now, you can hire an attorney and you can throw thousands upon thousands of dollars at this issue, but it's not going away. <laughs> so you have to stop using that name and start all over. It is very expensive, time-consuming, 
to build a brand over again. So you want so to make sure you protect dollars. your company name, spend the $1,500 or $2,000 and go get that federal trademark. If you have a podcast, get a federal trademark. If you have a book, you know, like I've had your trademark to Exit Rich. I've had your trademark to Six Ps. Make sure you protect your IP. And then the other thing that's big too is patents. If you have a unique product, anything different, get a patent for that. Um, do you ever watch Shark Tank? Can you all watch Shark yes, Tank in Australia? absolutely. So what do all the sharks always ask the inventors? <laughs> oh, there's a whole host of questions. But the biggest question is, do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent on that, yes, right? Or patent pending. <laughs> yeah, or patent pending. So patents are very valuable. The other thing that is a huge value driver are contracts. Contracts are extremely valuable. Um, manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, vendor contracts, franchisor contracts. Franchisor might have 2,000 franchisees. The most valuable contracts of all that buyers will pay more money for are contracts with clients. Yes. Especially if you have a contract with a particular business that that strategic buyer has been trying to get their foot in the door. They'll pay more money for that contract. Now, here's the caveat to contracts in the United States. I don't know about Australia, but in the United States, 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales. And every business owner I've dealt with over the last 20 years, mm -hmm. I've dealt with thousands, they never, they, none of them have the transferability clause. You have to have that two-sentence transferability clause when you sell your business that that contract will transfer. Yeah. So it's a big issue if it doesn't transfer. It's amazing how powerful a, a paragraph can be, isn't it? It is amazing, yeah. <laughs> it's just two sentences, so make sure you protect that. Here's the other thing that's very valuable and very overlooked. Databases. Databases of clients can get you a lot of money, especially if they can be retargeted and repurposed. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. Yeah. They were hemorrhaging and But WhatsApp had a billion users, so Facebook looked at this synergy. See, buyers look at these proprietary assets as synergies. And Facebook looked at this and said, hey, I can monetize this. You know, I can ROI because I have a billion users. So that's why they pay $19 billion. The other thing, the last thing I'm going to talk about in, in proprietary mm -hmm. is what I call IP real estate. So IP real estate is not your corporate business, your corporate building or your land. It's digital real estate or celebrity real estate. So let's say that you have a skincare line and Oprah Winfrey has endorsed it. That's worth a lot of money, money because you know how many strategics would love to get their own products endorsed by Oprah and by buying your company? They have that in with her. Yeah, wow. Six degrees of separation. <laughs> yep. And then, and then let's say that you manufacture um, bedding. And you're number one on Wayfair. So uh, the number one spots on Wayfair, Etsy, Amazon are all prime real estates. Celebrity endorsements, prime real estate. Buyers, strategic buyers will pay a lot of money for that IP real estate. Makes yeah. sense? Oh, absolutely. And then so, we're, so the fifth P, mm -hmm. because you've been so patient. <laughs> oh, no, I'm loving this. Absolutely vital information <laughs> for the audience. The fifth P is patron. So patron is your customer, your customer base. You can't operate without a client base. You've got to have clients. Yeah. So, you, you know, you've got to look at your business and ask yourself, does my business follow 
um, the 80-20 rule. So in America, most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of their revenues comes from 20% of their clients. Mm-hmm. And if they lose a client, a couple of clients, they can practically be out of business, right? So you want to create customer diversification, not customer concentration. Plus, if your business has been in business 20, 30, 40 years, your clients might be aging out. Yes. So you gotta you gotta change. replace your clients. And if you if you think you're gonna replace baby boomers with millennials without innovating, you got another thing coming. <laughs> because baby boomer boomers have a you know set of buying habits. Well, so do millennials. What's important to baby boomers is not important to millennials. So you really gotta figure out you know what's important to your client base and diversify. Um, and then the last P, the most important P to us all, is profits. We're all in business to make money. Imagine that. However, profits <laughs> is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. Like clients will come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. <laughs> you <laughs> the right people. Or no, you have a process problem. Or no, you have an IP problem because you didn't protect your intellectual property. So profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom. There's so much to unravel here. This is just opening my eyes and I'm sure everybody's on the call today just why it's so important to get people who have done this to get their help how how much is that true and what is the process when people want to connect with someone like you and where do they go to find you yeah so it's very important to align yourself with an expert if you're thinking about, you know, if you want to build a sustainable business, especially if you want to sell a business, mm-hmm. you should never try to sell a business yourself. It's like saying, you know what? I need a heart surgery, so let me cut up with my chest, take my heart out, and operate on myself. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to the vet. <laughs> Doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. So you really don't want to try to sell your own business. As far as how people can get in contact with me, they can um, – Purchase the book. Uh, can I can I tell them how to get Absolutely. the book? So they can. We're in the middle of pre-sales right now. So if you get the book now, we have a great offering, and we're we're giving lots of um, extra value for anybody that buys the book and pre-sell. So you can go to exitrichbook.com. That's exitrichbook.com. Got it. And you can buy the book for $24.79, which is less expensive than Amazon. Mm-hmm. Plus, it includes shipping in the USA. Yep. And we will, we will send you your digital copy immediately. So if you order the book right now, within seconds you get the digital copy. You don't have to wait. That's excellent. Then we'll send the hardcover to your doorstep in the U.S. If you're outside of the U.S., then we'll have to talk about shipping or we'll just send you the Kindle version. Yes, absolutely. And then you also get a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club. Exit Rich Book Club is where I do training on what you've just been hearing here. So if you like what you're hearing here, you're really going to love Exit Rich Book Club because I take even deeper dives and go into more content. Plus, we have documents. Every business has to have documents to run it and to sell it. So a lot of clients are like, Michelle, I've never seen an organizational chart before or an employee handbook. Well, if you're trying to sell a, a, a business, a lot of clients are like, I don't even know what a due diligence checklist looks like <laughs> or what a sample letter of intent looks or like, a purchase agreement. Our closing documents are an SOP. So all the documentation that you need to run your business and sell your business is there for your review. And guess what? 
your download. You can download these documents. And here's the thing. If you go to an attorney, it could cost you like $25,000 for these documents. Of course. And you're getting it for $24.79. Plus, it's a steal. Plus, you get 30 days free membership into my club, Club CEOs. And in Club CEOs, it's a mastermind of like-minded entrepreneurs where we do hot seats, Q&As, and we really help business owners to think transformationally instead of being stuck in transactional. And we really want to help business owners survive. And then on the other side of this, of course, thrive. And when you're ready, so you too can exit rich. Well, I can tell um, that everybody's on this call today are looking for the links, and I will certainly be making those links back to all of your work and your book, Michelle. Um, so for anybody who's on the call list today, make sure to look below this post. Now, as you know, the call will be distributed across our wide and expanding network. So no matter where you find this call, you will find the link back to both Michelle and her books. And with that all being said, Michelle, I've just had such a wonderful time spending time with you on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you so much, Rick. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, Rick is my husband's name. Oh, that's it. There you go. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show and sharing my content with your audience. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.